You know, I don't know about you, but I often underestimate what a little push or a dose of encouragement can do in somebody's life. So I wanted to share with you today just a few stories I received through email from a few people here at church. Here's story number one. My encouragement story comes from a couple years ago. A guy had discipled me over the course of five years, changing me from a complacent Christian to a hungry follower of Jesus. This guy invited me to men's studies, which I declined, so he brought his book to work and discussed with me at the job site. Time and time again, he wouldn't let it go until I finally had an eye-opening experience and was changed forever. I asked this man a couple years ago, why? Why did you keep teaching me? Why were you so patient? His response was, once I pray that I never forget. He said, I could see the potential inside you. Wow. Talk about head held high. It wasn't just from this man, but the spirit urging him on. That God sees potential and doesn't want me to waste what he created and waste my salvation. This man is now on staff at Batcher Creek and has become a great friend. Thanks, Ryan Kime, for pouring gas on the fire that I had allowed to cool off. And that's from Mark Gearhart. Jamie Kinsey wrote in and she said, Encouragement gives life to hope. That is what encouragement has done for me. And now through this hope, I encourage others. As a child, I felt hopeless and depressed before I knew what those words meant. Although I was being raised in difficult circumstances, certain women found their way into my life and breathed encouragement into me. Through this encouragement, I graduated college at the top of my class, even though I was an average to below average high school student. This has opened the door for me to encourage others on a daily basis through my work. There is so much more I can testify on how encouragement has saved my life. Most importantly, I want you to know that when depression or anxiety comes knocking, it's the victories from encouragement that fuels me to keep pushing on. Keep encouraging others because it makes all the difference. God has provided a way and I have his hope. Did you notice a common denominator there? It was people being present in the life of Mark and people being present in the life of Jamie that made all the difference for them. Just like we talked about last week with Onesiphorus, how being present just with somebody can motivate them in the direction of Jesus. But here's a question we should ask this morning. How can I encourage somebody if I can't be physically present with them? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because today we're going to look at another obscure character from Scripture who made a really, really big impact. His name is Epaphras. I became familiar with Epaphras when I took my prison epistles class in college, and I was impressed with how this little-known man made such a big difference in the life of the church that he loved. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Epaphras' story, okay? Epaphras was from a smaller town called Colossae, 
and he made his way to Ephesus for some reason or another. He's there visiting in Ephesus, and he comes under the influence of the Apostle Paul, and he becomes a follower of Christ. And Epaphras is so on fire for Jesus that the first thing he does when he gets back to his hometown of Colossae is he plants a church. And things are going well at the, at the first Christian church in Colossae until some people come from the outside come in with a different kind of teaching, a false teaching, a teaching which is meant to undermine the sufficiency of Jesus. Now, I want you to remember that this morning, okay? The hallmark of a false teacher is that they will always try to undermine the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And Epaphras is young in his faith, and he doesn't really know how to answer some of these people coming in with this new teaching. And he wishes he could talk to his friend Paul. But Paul is in house arrest in Rome, but he can have visitors. So Epaphras makes a journey back to Rome to talk to Paul to get some kind of information on how to deal with this. And while Epaphras is with Paul, Paul writes this brilliant essay that we now call the book of Colossians, highlighting the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. The interesting thing, though, is when Paul sends the letter back to the church at Colossae, he doesn't send it with Epaphras. He sends it with a servant named Tychicus and a runaway slave named Onesimus. But Paul keeps Epaphras with him for some reason. So here's the question. Epaphras has this church miles and miles away that he knows is being attacked by false teaching. So how can he encourage this church long distance 2,000 years ago when they didn't have cell phones or texting or email? How can he encourage this church? Well, Paul's own words give us the answer. I want you to listen to what Paul says about Epaphras in Colossians 4.12. Here's how Epaphras is described. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus sends greetings. He is always, get this, he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So not only is Epaphras a church planter, he is a church prayer. And to my knowledge, Epaphras is the only person in all of Paul's letters who Paul holds up and who Paul commends for his prayer. Paul wanted the church at Colossae to know, listen, Epaphras loves you. Every time I see this young man, he is on his knees wrestling for you. Not because there's nothing else he can do, but because there's nothing better he can do for you as the church that he loves. Because prayer is a powerful, powerful way that we can encourage. And here's what I know. Intellectually, you just agreed with everything I said. Practically, though, we don't pray very much. 
I know that in a couple of different ways. One way I know that is because often when we're in a conversation with somebody, we say, praying for you just as a way to end the conversation, not as a promise that I am going to join in the fight with you. I know it because sometimes we say really, really goofy things when we get into dire straits and when trouble comes into our life. We say things like, well, we tried everything and things are so bad now, all we can do is pray. Can, can you really imagine how insulting that is for God to hear? That all we can do now is pray. Prayer is our last option. Prayer's got to be our last ditch effort. All I have left now is to petition my Father who loves me is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. And that's my last option that I have right now. It must be insulting to the heart of God to hear his children say such things like that. You know how else I know? I know this. Because the last all-church prayer event that we held, downtown Wabash, just a few months ago, strictly for the purpose of prayer, out of a church our size, only about 35 of us showed up. And I don't say that to scold you or to shame you this morning. I say that just to point out the simple fact that prayer is just not often our priority. So let's practically focus this morning on some how-tos, okay? That when we pray for people, when we encourage them through prayer, what should characterize those prayers if we're really wanting to encourage long distance, all right? So how can we motivate people in the direction of Jesus when we can't be with them? I want you to listen to Paul's words again, what he says about Epaphras, only we're going to look at it now through the lens of a different translation. We're going to look at it now through the message, okay? Listen to what he says in Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, says hello. What a trooper he has been. He's been tireless in his prayers for you praying that you'll stand firm, mature, and confident in everything God wants you to do. Here's the first thing I want you to understand, okay? To be a prayer encourager, you have to pray persistently. Pray persistently. He was tireless in his prayers. Anybody can pray once, but a prayer encourager prays often. And let's be honest this morning, okay? It's hard to pray like that, isn't it? Do you know why it's hard? Because it's hard to do anything over and over and over again that we just don't see paying off. My guess is in here this morning. Most of us have in our lives someone that we are praying for. And we've prayed for them over and over and over again and not seen the desired change that we've been praying about. I'm not talking dozens of prayers. I'm not talking hundreds of prayers. I'm talking thousands of prayers over and over and over again. And honestly, I don't get it. What I do know is this. 
Jesus told two parables about prayer, both of them with the exact same meaning. Keep on asking. So my official pastoral response is, I don't know why. Maybe God knows that that person just isn't ready to change yet, and he is not going to supersede on that person's free will. Maybe it's through that process of praying and the length of praying that God is doing something in my heart and he's doing something in your heart when you pray over and over and over for the same thing. I don't know all the whys. All I know is the what's. Jesus said, keep on asking. And I cannot give up on prayer if I really believe God does not give up on people. Paul says here, Epaphras is wrestling for you in prayer. You know, he uses a Greek word here, agonizomai. Does that sound like an English equivalent? We get our word agony over that. And the word agonizomai was used as a term when talking about first century athletes. How when they're training, they would push themselves to the limits. They would exhaust themselves training to be the kind of athlete they wanted to be. And that's what Paul is saying about Epaphras. He's exhausting himself. He's pushing himself daily to the limits on your behalf. Here's the point Paul's saying. Prayer is hard work. Honestly, that's why some of you don't do it. That's why others of you who do, you give up prematurely. Because nobody ever taught you that prayer is a struggle. We got to pray persistently, folks. Here's the second thing. A prayer encourager focuses on spiritual health. Don't just offer vague prayers. Epaphras prayed for this church. I want you to be firm in the faith. I want you to be mature. I want you to be confident of everything that God wants to do through you. And again, his example is Paul. In all of Paul's letters, we find these kinds of prayers for the churches that he's writing to. Listen to how Paul even opens up his remarks to the church at Colossae. Listen what his prayer is for them. Colossians 1.9. So we have not stopped praying for you. Since we first heard about you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Did you catch something there? Did you notice what Paul did not pray for for the people of Colossae? Hey, I pray that you all have great health. I pray that you'll grow in your wealth. 
I pray that you'll have fewer trials, fewer problems, fewer letdowns in life. We don't see that anywhere in Paul's prayer for the church. What he's saying is, my prayer for you is one thing, that you will grow in Christ. That after some time, you will look like, you will talk like, you will walk like, you will be like Jesus. Because listen, folks, when you care about somebody, you don't just care about the circumstance they're in. You care about the kind of people they are becoming. Someone wrote it and shared this story with me. In a church we used to attend, there was a middle-aged man who, with his wife, had been in the church for years and raised his children in the church. This man had an affair with a younger woman and that affair lasted for months. He had recently returned to his wife but would not show his face in church. His wife came, but he would not. I think it was the pastor's idea, but throughout the church, word spread that we were to gather at this man's house early on a particular Sunday morning, to sing praises and pray. The day came, and there were so many people that we were able to hold hands and surround his house, singing songs like the family of God, and we are one in the bond of love. After a few songs and prayers for this man, a certain man of the circle was designated to go up to the house to knock on the door and to ask this man back to church. He did. And that very day, the man came back and joined us in church, and he has continued in his walk with God. What a story of encouragement, forgiveness, grace, and love. You know what that story is? That story's not just being concerned about someone and the circumstances they're in. That church was concerned about one of their own. They were concerned about who he was Becoming, and they said, we are going to take this to the throne of God. Let me just say this morning, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for people's circumstances. But what I'm saying is we should pray for them to have a kind of spiritual maturity that regardless of what circumstance comes their way in life, that at the very end of it, they will look more and more like Jesus. In fact, I had a thought as I was getting ready for today, and I, it kind of convicted me. I thought to myself, I wonder why maybe the reason that we pray so often for illnesses and sicknesses and bumps and bruises of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and that's often the extent of our prayers, instead of praying for spiritual maturity, I wonder if it's because we ourselves have never reached a level of maturity that is worthy of praying that somebody else will have. So we keep it to the simple. But our prayers for others to grow in Christ, friends, are critical. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6, the church is growing, and all of a sudden, the church faces one of its first organizational problems. And the apostles say, we got to appoint some people to take care of these things that are going on. 
because we need to devote ourselves to what's most important here in the church. What did they say was the most important thing they needed to devote themselves to? The ministry of the word and to prayer. The apostles were charged by Jesus to grow the church, lift up the church, expand the church, and they said the two most important things that we've got to devote ourselves to make this a reality is the preaching and teaching of God's word and to be praying in all times. Now, complete transparency right here, right now. Prayer is a struggle for me. I would rather write sermons, respond to emails, counsel people in need, read deep books. I find it so much easier to do those things than to get on my knees and to fight for the people in this church. I'm just being honest with you. But here's what I believe. That the fruit of my prayers are going to outlast the fruit of my sermons. And you know who taught me that? You did. Because I receive time and time again at various seasons in life, some more than others, cards from you, emails from you, a text from you, saying, I just want you to know, I am praying for you. And that is so encouraging, folks. I've been doing ministry now for 26 years, and it's a tough gig. I know you've got a tough job, but I got a tough job too. I recently discovered that 90% of the people who enter into ministry don't ever retire from ministry. Most don't make it the long haul. It got to me wondering, why have I made it the long haul so far? And I came up with two reasons. First, because God has blessed me with an amazing wife who is a support to me, stands beside me, is there for me, encourages me, and I know is praying for me. Secondly, I know that many of the people here in the church that I serve have served me by covering me in prayer. I know without a doubt that I'm one of the most prayed for people in this church. I received a letter from someone in this church this week very well thought out, well typed. I mean, the only way I could describe it is Holy Spirit empowered. It brought me to tears. I'm thinking about framing it and posting it in my office somewhere. Powerful. 
And when I receive things like that from you, I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church at Rome. Listen to what he writes. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. So friends, if you love me, please pray for me and join me in my struggle. So here's what we're going to do. I need you to get your phones out again. You got your phone on you? Get it out. And I want you to go to your clock app or where it is you set your alarms. And I want you to set a new alarm time. Here's the alarm I want you to set. 412. 412. You can choose AM or PM, but I suggest PM. You say, why 412? Here's what 412 is. 412 is in reference to our little friend Epaphras, who made it a point to wrestle for the people that he loved in Christ. When you came in today, you received one of these, hopefully. Inside of this is a card that just says, be encouraged today. Here's what I want you to do. At some point today, I want you to write inside this card. It can be to one of your children, a coworker, a long life, a lifelong friend. It can be somebody who you are vowing for this whole week, and maybe even longer. You can vow as long as you want that at 4:12 every day, I'm going to be a Packers for you, and I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to agonizamai for you in prayer. I'm going to take your name to the throne of God. And yes, if they're going through a circumstance, pray for their circumstance, but I want you to pray for their spiritual maturity in Christ as well. That they'll have confidence, that they'll stand firm. That they will, at the end of the day, look and act and talk more like Jesus. So that's your marching orders. And I hope this week there's a number of people either in our church or outside the walls of our church that have one of these show up in their mail with a little push, a little dose of Epaphras inside saying, you're important enough to me that I'm going to motivate you in the direction of Jesus through prayer. Here's another opportunity you have. I know our church isn't sometimes very responsive, and maybe that's because you don't feel like you have permission to be responsive. And today I give you all the permission that you need. That when our worship team comes up here in just a few moments, whoever that person is that God has put on your mind to wrestle for, 
that you'll just come up front here and just do some wrestling today. To have some agony of heart for people that you love and care for. And you're just going to obey Jesus and you're just going to keep asking and asking and asking and asking. Because even though we don't know the whys, we know the what. So you are free to come up and pray this morning. And I'm going to ask now for you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we ask God to come bless this environment. Father, we totally underestimate the power of our prayers. Yet we see Jesus time and time and time and time again getting away by himself to pray. Lord, help us to understand what an amazing encourager we can be behind the scenes, long distance for people when we're lifting their name before your throne. I pray, Lord, that that people this week who get a card in the mail or hand delivered to them like I got this week from somebody, that it'll just melt them, that it'll just undo them, Lord, in the way that it did for me. So, Father, just use this time now to compel us to be the people of Jesus we've been called to be. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to come to your throne, to our loving Father, who desires to give his children what they ask. We come before your throne of grace boldly now, Lord, because of the one named Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.